Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Okay, welcome to the Running Light Better Pleasure Podcast, and I'm your host, Bo Willette. I'm Peter. That's Peter Martin over there, the silent one, the silent yet deadly one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I like your hair with your uh, mic in, dude. It's got, it's kind of froed. I know, man. I need to get a haircut. Mine's it's pretty it's long looking right good, dude. <laughs> you got to let it go. Well, this is going to be episode number 127, and I think I might title this one "The Penis." <laughs> the so, penis. So if you're not if you're not offended by that, you might have you might have heard that. And went okay, I'm out. <laughs> That's okay. But uh, we understand. And this, uh, the Better Pleasure podcast is two pastors that love to talk about the Bible and how it relates to sex, sexuality, culture, love, lust, uh, licentiousness, and uh, God, yeah. you know, and theology. Uh, we love to be heavy on the theology side and uh, a little bit on the uh, philosophical, cultural philosophical talks. And uh, it's always fun. Every now and then we get into some really interesting topics, and today might be just one of those, <laughs> because not only with such a cool title, I should have maybe titled it The Phallic. That yeah. might have been less, <laughs> just like, maybe that's what I'll do yeah. on the SoundCloud, <laughs> be a little bit less, uh, you know, harsh to the ear. Yeah. Some people don't even know what that is. So <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Be okay. Yeah. Phallic sounds like a sphinx <laughs> <Yeah>. to me. <laughs> like a statue. That's right. But uh, okay, so why are we talking about the phallic? Yeah. So uh, me and Bo have both been uh, basically staggering on being sick <laughs> for the last month. So we haven't been able to do one of these, which is a huge bummer. And uh, the, this article that we're going over, we might be able to get to a second one later on in the podcast. We'll see. But this article was written last month in December. It was written by a, a woman named, uh, actually, I don't know what her original name was. She's transitioned to being a man, and she now goes by Gabrielle Mack. And this is this article, it goes into some pretty gruesome detail. So if you're not, if you're a little squeamish about stuff like that, or you just find it gratuitous and don't want to read it, I totally understand. It is long, it is lengthy. But it is all about her desire to have a penis. So even though she had already transitioned to being a man, she felt it necessary to get a penis. So I wanted to focus on two parts of the article. The first one is her friend's resistance to this procedure, which I think is really telling and interesting. And the second one is focusing on why she feels so strongly that she needs to have a penis and, and why that is. And in fact, the name of the article, the literal title of the article is my penis myself. I didn't need to have a penis in order to be a man, but I did need one to be me. Um, so <laughs> this is a this is a little excerpt from it. So this is kind of her friend's reaction. So again, she's already a man and she's already transitioned to be a man, but she hasn't had the surgery yet. And the surgery is called phalloplasty, by the way, in case you were curious. And it's where they actually take a part of your body. They take some of the flesh from a part of your body. In her case, it was from her leg. And they actually turn that into a somewhat functional phallic uh, that goes onto your body. They attach it to your body. It's really grotesque procedure. And like I said, she goes into some pretty 
gory detail when, if you read the whole article. But anyway, uh, phalloplasty in general, it was clear, was hard for people to accept. So these are kind of her feminist friends. Well, I will love you no matter what, sweetie, one of my cis female best friends said when I told her I was transitioning years before. As long as you don't get a penis. One flatly demanded, don't get a penis. It was another transmasculine person. So this is another person who is biologically female, but transitioned to being a male. I used to know said disgusting, insane. It is disgusting and insane to want to have a surgeon make a sensate phallus out of your arm or leg or somewhere and Franken stitch it to your body. <laughs> to go so far, I know. The, the, it's just, <laughs> I get claps to that one. That was the, great. This article is very, very well written. Frankenstitching? stitch it to your body. Oh. Uh, to go so far out of your way to opt into a tool. Now, listen to this, the key phraseology of why her friends are like, don't do it. To go so far out of your way to opt into a tool, perhaps the tool of so much suffering so if you caught it there the reason why her friends are so opposed to her getting a penis is because they look at the penis as the tool of oppression and suffering towards women yeah which is big right this is big thinking people might go hey I, I've never heard this before but this isn't something you had never heard before right I mean you've heard of patriarchy right well patriarchy certainly has an attachment to the penis right so um, it, it would seem to be a logical conclusion that if uh, having a penis associates you with patriarchy and patriarchy is bad right. then to have the penis has to be bad too right and this I think this article really shows it really demonstrates the psychological discord that's going on in these people's minds because in one sentence they want to hold on to what Bo just said the patriarchy is bad men are bad but on the other hand they want to elevate people who want to become men <laughs> and the only way in their minds to do it is to like you said demonize not men but the penis so it's not because <laughs> like if you say that men are bad, but then you also say trans men are men, which is the contention. So a woman transitioning to be a man is not a trans woman. She is a man. That's what they believe in order to glorify the trans woman and also to denigrate the man. You have to come up with something that allows you to make that really contradictory, those two contradictory things stick in your mind at once, and that is the penis is bad. Well, it's yeah, and it's kind of difficult, right? Because what makes a man a man? Right. Is a penis involved in it at all? And according to her friends, no, right? Because <laughs> like she says that she's talking to one of her friends, and she identifies them as a man, and they don't have a penis, right? So it's completely divorced from biology. It's completely yeah. divorced from uh, what we would call like normative behavior, meaning that uh, if I were to say like, well, what makes a man is is you, you like tools and you like, you know, <laughs> you like going out and working out and hunting and and you're just coming up with stereotypical masculine qualities. That's also bad. Yeah, there's something called situational ethics. And, and our listeners might have heard the, that term before, which is ethics based on a certain situation. Right. 
And so they're not objective. <coughs> it's not so objective. Right. It can be subjective based on a particular situation. Right. Situational ethics. Well, this sounds a lot like identity ethics. Right. Where you have an, uh, a new modern ethical system mm -hmm. that is based solely on one's perception. Current perception. Right. So it's not it's not a perception that's based in a longevity that can almost be seen as an objectable uh, kind of evidence based, you know, idea. Right. But it's something that's just in a current, present tense identity, which is defining the 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 ethic. Right. This is how. I look at it today, right? Um, which is <laughs> really interesting. Oh yeah. <laughs> if this if this is to be our brave new world ethic, right? <laughs> moving <laughs> forward. No, it's it's really in in a lot of ways. You know, I uh, we me and Bo talked about it on our reason for hope earlier this week. I'm rereading a brave new world. In a lot of ways, our culture is outstripping <laughs> the, the wildest <laughs> fantasies of Aldous Huxley's brave new world. Even him. He would have looked at our society today and our views of gender and been like, whoa, like that's that's pretty far. That's you pushing know? some stuff. That's pushing some stuff that he didn't even predict in his uh, intentionally, uh, intentionally uh, exaggerated fictional. Work. Yeah. And I think maybe he where he got it wrong was he underestimated something, you know, and he overestimated something. I think he overestimated in some capacity biology and the value a society would place on biology. Right. And I think he he underestimated um, the power of human beings to be above all things not not disciplined or not not uh criticized hmm. and that human beings will go to any length to not want to be criticized or wrong right uh maybe and that that maybe he underestimated that human quality of us that says hey you can't say i'm wrong and if this is the way i think by golly what makes it wrong and, and and there's more to be said on those things, but, you know, maybe he thought, like, society wouldn't, um, or, yeah, yeah, maybe he thought, like, science and biology especially would still hold, like, a factor, like, in the society. Right. You know, that there still would be male and female. Right. Um, and phallics do matter, and vaginas matter, <laughs> and these kind of things. Yeah. You know, and I think almost um, <coughs> Orwell predicted this a little bit better in 1984. So in 1984, George Orwell had this principle called doublethink. And doublethink was something that the ruling class did and they did it to the people. And doublethink was the ability of someone to hold two contradictory ideas in their mind at the same time. And it was seen as like a moral thing. Because you had to in the 1984 state, the 
the state was able to just tell you what truth was and it changed on a daily basis. And so you had to at one sentence say, I am very free and I could do whatever I want. And in the same exact moment, hold the thought of the state does the thinking for me and I don't need to be free because freedom isn't, isn't important. So you had to hold those two views at the same time. And it was seen as like a positive, virtuous thing to be able to do that. I think we've actually achieved that in our culture where again, someone can hold these very contradictory views in their head. A trans woman is a man and a trans woman is good, but then also hold in their head simultaneously, men are bad. So they're definitely contradictory. It's definitely double think, but it's seen as being virtuous today. It's good oh. to see it both ways at the same time. So the title's great, my penis, myself. I didn't need a penis to be a man, but I needed one to be me. Now, this goes into the second point. So listen to this contradictory thought as well. Yeah. This goes into the title. So she's answering her friends. Why do I have to go so much out of my way to imbibe a penis? And this is what she says. Literally, the day I gave in and admitted that for me, it was penis or death. <laughs> Another pretty great line. Sounds, yeah. like, sounds <laughs> like a record album. I know. <laughs> penis or death, you know. What's it the name of my album? <laughs> well... <laughs> It definitely sounds like an 80s band. <laughs> like, it definitely sounds like something that Gen X would come up with. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think I th we came up with this in the garage, man, when we were making our, doing our band stuff. <laughs> uh, came after a last-ditch bout of denial in which I drove 1,400 miles in three days only to have to acknowledge, devastated at my destination, that I couldn't avoid it anymore. And this is from... One of her friends, I would have rather died on the table than to have not had this surgery. One Korean-American guy with red sweaters responded. And like everybody here gave me permission to repeat to a chorus of nodding Zoom heads. It has happened at least once that someone did die from the surgery. I was fully ready to, by which I mean I'd just spent nearly the last of my savings, which I'd burned on a burial plot just in case. So... I, I cut out some of the, the details that she goes into of why she's so afraid of the surgery. But again, it, it, she goes into some pretty graphic detail of what could happen during the surgery. And one of the worst things is you could die. And she got in her head that it was so risky that she literally went out and bought a burial plot, like bankrupted herself to buy a burial plot just in case she died on the table. And yet she's still willing to go through this. So one of the things that we got to figure out is if gender has nothing to do with biology, which is what our culture is telling us, it doesn't matter what biology you have. Gender has nothing to do with your biology. Why is it that somebody is willing to risk death to change their biology if it doesn't have any, any factors into what kind of gender that they are? Yeah. And the answer is that it does matter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and that it does matter and that no matter how much you want to get away from a biblical idea, the biblical ideas and the things that you say are so old fashioned and right. so wrong and so filled with prejudice and oppression and <laughs> whatever words you got. Right. You can't get away from it. 
Right. There's just, you can't, you know, truth is truth. Right. And it's funny, we can always dink around with truth, but we can't really do anything to harm it. Right. Uh, which is really interesting. Right. You know, truth is truth. You jump off that building, you're going to die. Right. That's the truth. doesn't really matter what you believe. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you could spread your w wings, you know, <laughs> you can flap all you want. And, you know, there's just so many things to that, too, in, in life. Yeah. Like, no matter how much you, you know, you want... Um, you know, anything, you, you you know, anything you want, a bigger house or you want uh, a car or, y you know, anything that everything is that is has a structure within it. Right. Everything. Right. The rabbit can't be a zebra. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, e so even things we observe just right. in nature. um. You know, clouds have a particular makeup mm. and why they are clouds. Right. And even stuff that's so basic like that. Like you can't say to rain, I don't believe in you. Right. Or I don't think you're water. Right. Or, you know, I would love for you to be money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just, it doesn't, none of that works. Right. You know, we live in just a giant paradigm box right. of truth. Right. And why we think that we can um, move away from that on these biological norms is is absolutely odd. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't know if there's any other time in society um, that I could think of, maybe you can, where where literally truth statements and, and, and truth facts are discounted, right? Um, for a for what? Like, what is it? What is the payoff? Like, what is the what is the payoff? Why why would you discount? something that's true right you know were you born with a penis right were you born with a vagina um you know what is the payoff of discounting something that is true right and there's got to be such a great payoff um in our culture today for people to be like yeah like okay i don't know if that's true or not. Right. You know, I don't know if biology is true or not. What is the payoff? Right. And it's it's really kind of crazy to me. So th there's this interesting passage in the Bible where it talks about the Antichrist. And it says something odd about him. It says that he will change times and seasons. And some people have looked at that and been like, okay you know some weird people are like daylight savings times you know <laughs> like that, you know like but i'm not gonna go that way but what it seems to me that this passage is getting at is that he's taking something that is so beyond human control which is times and seasons right you can't change 
when spring is. <laughs> it's kind of like what you're talking about. You could say all you want that rain doesn't exist. It's not going to keep you from being wet. You know, and you could say all you want. It's not summer. I really believe it's winter. It's not going to stop you from getting heat stroke. You know, but it, what it seems to be getting at is that the hold of the Antichrist is going to be so pervasive in society that he can tell people it's winter even though it's 130 degrees outside and people will believe him, hmm. right? That, that that seems to be what the Bible is getting at, that his, his hold on people's realities, his hold on their minds is going to be so pervasive that he can do that. And at the time of Jesus, like when Daniel made these prophecies or Jesus made these prophecies or John, it probably seemed a little ridiculous. People are like, no way. Yeah. You know, because e even though, like you said, even though in culture you always had dictators telling people like, hey, believe this or hey, believe that. But there was some sort of a reality that they were butting up against. It wasn't until, like I said, George Orwell wrote this book in 1984. And the main quote of the book is the main character says he says it over and over again. Freedom is saying two plus two equals four. Freedom is saying two plus two equals four, meaning that the, the power of the state. And George Orwell's book was so great that the state can make you say two plus two equals five. And in order to be a virtuous person, you had to echo that. And if you weren't, you were killed. You were ostracized from society. Never has a government really had that kind of authority. And now we're seeing this weird time in our culture where people can tell you in one sentence, biology doesn't matter. And in the exact same sentence to say, but biology does matter because we need to allow people to transition their bodies to match their gender. Yeah, well, someone who's transitioning, <coughs> it matters so much they're willing to buy a burial plot right. in case they actually pass away. To literally risk death. <laughs> like, it matters that much. <coughs> so it's like, again, and this is the same argumentation that people were using towards kids, right? There's a huge push right now for kids to be able to take various drugs to keep their bodies from going through uh, puberty so that they can match their, their self-identified gender. And the argument, again, is the same, same thing. Number one, well, I believe that this person's a boy. Why do I believe they're a boy? Because they have a penis. And they would look at them and be like, you're a bigot. A penis doesn't make you a man. And in the exact same sentence to say, but they need to have the ability at the age of 12 to be able to cut off their penis and to keep themselves from going through puberty because they need to be a woman. And you're like, well, th those are contradictory statements. Either biology doesn't matter at all, in which case they don't need to touch their body in order to be that gender, or biology does matter, and therefore we identify people based on their body parts. But you can't have it both ways. But no, we live in a culture where you can have it both ways. Yeah. And the interesting answer is like, again, what is the payoff? Right. You know, and I'll, I, I, I come up with ideas like um, being liked. And, and I know that sounds kind of trivial right. in a lot of ways. Like, what do you mean? Human beings just want to be liked. So they'll they'll literally throw out um, any kind of rationality or coherency. Um, they'd rather be absolutely incoherent than being disliked. And my answer is, we'll just look at the culture. Right. You know, we do have a culture that, 
even in our social media climate, it has this thing called likes. And how many likes do you get? You know, and, and it's interesting that we get money off of likes. If you get enough likes, you can um, monetize mm -hmm. your videos. And things are really based off of this idea of like, it must be a powerful idea. Right. You know, this one of like and, and oh obviously acceptance. Right. Um, and to be in the majority, you know, to be in the majority, to be liked. Um, now, most of us growing up, we realize this, meaning we realize it's very important to be in the majority. Right. Right. And so we try to find groups that we can be a part of kind of a majority and not get picked on. Right. And that's how it works. Um, there is the pecking order. Um, and it seems like that is a driving force in humanity today. Like, you know, on not the playground, but just in, the, in a digital world where it's a world that is definitely different from the playground world where the playground world if you were little and you weren't brave to fight uh, and you didn't cuss you know uh, that kind of thing if you were a goody two-shoes it really didn't matter how many books you read <laughs> you know you weren't gonna hang with the majority right you know the, the studs you know, you had to show some level of something. Right. And that's not how our technological world is today, where where it doesn't, you can be, uh, you know, different. You can be, uh, you don't have to be one of these, um, you know, these strong, powerful people, um, very type A personalities on the playground. Um, and it seems like, it seems like th there's, <coughs> you know, s you know, people all want to fall into a majority. That's why they join subcultures and subgroups is to somehow feel belonging. And it is interesting, you know, <coughs> when you study cults, for instance, instance, like why do people join cults? Like smart people, yeah. um, you know, people who are self-assured and things like that. And what you usually get you know, when you, when you study people like that, is that there was a moment in their life, even if it was just a, a very small window of their life, in which they really felt disconnected from their peer groups. And then they entered into this world where they got this amazing, unconditional acceptance and love that they had always been craving in their world and they never felt like they had it. And that love kind of held them in this group in which they knew in their mind and in their heart, what these people believe and are saying is not true. It's garbage. But they felt so loved that they were willing to live in the lie for long enough until eventually their mind caught up with their heart. In other words, eventually they started to believe what the group was saying and they, it became their reality. And that's what we see with a lot of young people, I believe. Like a lot of young people are growing up the the idea of in-person relationships are already kind of fading and they're not really very important and so it's very normal and natural for a lot of these young people to grow up and to have no 
feeling of belonging. Like I don't belong. I don't feel like I have any connection. And then to gravitate towards online, and this is one of the scariest things about online, is whatever group you want to identify with exists. You know, if I, if I was, when I went to high school, if I wanted to find a community who validated me for being trans or something like that, I couldn't find one, right? <laughs> you know, I might be able to, like if I looked through the entire state, I might be able to find like, you know, 10 or 15 people that would agree with me. Right. But to be plugged into a worldwide community where I could get thousands of likes, you know, hundreds of thousands of likes from this really obscure fringe community where I'm getting amazing, not just tiny amounts of acceptance, but large amounts of acceptance and verbal confirmation and love, like real, like virtual love and affection that I haven't been getting from my real world. It makes me disconnect more and more from reality, disconnect more and more from relationships and to begin to believe the stuff that very clearly contradicts reality, you know, really believe it over time. And I think that's what you're seeing. <clears throat> yeah. So when I look at the payoff, I go, okay, definitely a like system. I want to be liked. Right. I want to feel connected. All that is a part of it. Um, and so I, I could see where society goes those directions. Mm. And it always has in that sense. Right. You know, subcultures always have believed in things that weren't true. Right. You know, um, I think of my Jenna X, you know, Sunset Boulevard, you know, life uh, as a kid. And I think of, you know, what were the heavy metal, you know, what was the doctrine of, you know, heavy metal? The Descendants were a punk band and uh, they put out, uh, some of their members put out another band called All. And uh, Descendants, when they wrote, they wrote these, like the Ten Commandments of Descendants. And, you know, punk music's so funny like that, yeah. where they would come out with, these interesting parodies, and uh, that's that's a good way to put it, is they were like parodies, and um, but they had like ten commandments. Literally, it was like it's like the first commandment is you shall not you know worship any other you know <laughs> something, <laughs> and it was it was hilarious. Right. You know, it's one of those things you listen to the the song, and I don't Which know. How so funny because <laughs> like all these subcultures are they pride themselves on being non-conformist. Right. <laughs> you know, right. And then they're conforming <laughs> you to like a different they, we, yeah, yeah. Every subculture is conforming to its own set of doctrines. Right. Its own set. So even though we would fight against Christianity and be like, that set of doctrines sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> what we did is just conform to another set of it. Right. You know? Um, very much mimicking it almost right. in, in very much ways. And, and I think all subcultures are doing that. They're all setting up their own Ten Commandments. Right. And, <coughs> and just like in the punk ones that were so funny, or the one Descendants did, was so funny is it, it almost was ironically contradictory on purpose. Right. Because it was just <coughs> stupid. Right. You know, and that's what punk music was like back then. Right. It was just to be stupid and funny yeah. and, and all that. And so it's like even though you're part of these subcultures and they have their, their doctrine, so to speak, it's like you're right that over time you would realize that, hey, I kind of hit a wall. Right. You know, like the doctrine of 
drinking and tell you puke yeah you know (laughs) like you know that that doctrine just runs into an end yeah biology (laughs) (laughs) that's right so that's right because there is a truth right Right. the truth is is that your body will can only take alcohol poisoning so much (laughs) and then and then then you you have to either stop or you're going to pickle your liver and problems are going to happen but so you can see how this is working where today you have it's like what if what if you could what if the technology though was such where it could help your liver not pickle right you know it's a, oh, oh yeah you know we can help your your liver you know your liver liver's pickling because of the alcohol abuse problem's not with the alcohol abuse yeah the problem is is that we need something to fix the liver right you know and if we could just fix that liver then you know, you could stay going. So the problem's not the drink. The problem is <coughs> your liver. <laughs> and, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis and the abolition of man, he had a great quote on that. It was uh, in ancient days, he said, wisdom was conforming yourself to reality. He said the problem of magic and today applied science is conforming reality to what I want. <laughs> so, right. so it was like, if I want to live a wise life, I, there is a reality. There's something I'm butting up against. I need to conform to that. Today, it's no, reality needs to conform to me. And he looked at it as like, we live in the first time in world history where we have the scientific method to do that. Like we could, like back in Paul's day, someone could dress up like a lady, you know, or they could even emasculate themselves they could cut something off but what they couldn't do is make it look like they had a vagina yeah now we can we have the tech we have the technology man we can do it and because of that there's a justification right of the drinking right you know so instead of saying hey well maybe you should stop drinking right you know now we say oh well hey we can do this right we can't fix the liver you know make it so it's functioning right so hey you know maybe you know, which is interesting. It gets the idea off of behavior. Right. Right? And it makes us go, oh, the behavior's okay. Right. And instead of really seeing the reality of what the behavior does. Right. And that's that's kind of like what <coughs> what the argument of the apostles was, especially to the Gnostics. You know, the Gnostics are like, it doesn't really matter what happens in your body, so do whatever you want. Yeah. And Paul especially he went to war with these people. And one of the things that he continuously said is even if let's lay aside what it's doing to your body. What if you do have a soul and what if it is affecting it? And I think about first Corinthians six where they were like, Hey, just have sex with whoever, who cares? And Paul's argument was no, when you join to yourself to a prostitute, you become one body with her. Right. And you are one spirit with God. Why would you take the members of God and make them ones with a whore? You know, so his idea is like, okay, again, STDs, all that stuff aside. What if what you're doing affects your soul? What if you're not just a body? And what if you're not just some duality, right, where you're a body and a soul and the two never meet? What if your body and your soul are intertwined and what you do in the body does affect your spirit? And what if that is important? And so it's like, yeah, what if I can't artificially fix the liver so it doesn't get jacked up from, you know, poison? And I think that Aldous Huxley, again, he kind of 
played with this idea in a brave new world where he came up with the idea of soma and soma was this perfect drug that functioned like alcohol it functioned like a narcotic but it didn't have any side effects right it didn't actually affect your body and there's an interesting moment where they go to the indian reservation the savage lands and one of the women there had come from the brave new world and she didn't have access to soma anymore and so she started using some of the old drugs, the drugs that we're familiar with. And I think the main one she got hooked on was mescaline. Mm. And she just it just destroys her body, just absolutely annihilates her body. And one of the main characters, Lenina, who comes from Brave New World, she's seeing the effects of, of mescaline on this person. And she's like, oh, my gosh, this is so ugly. This is so disgusting. And Huxley is intentionally showing because he has a lot of first-person narratives in the scene, he is showing that the degradation of the body that the one woman is, is feeling and experiencing is mirrored by the degradation of the soul of the other woman, mm -hmm. right? So in, in other words, even though that Soma is not affecting her biologically, there is something that's happening to her capacities for compassion and empathy and love, and it's being degraded at an exponential rate. Yeah, and this this might be why the society that is around when the Antichrist is around is able to give the Antichrist the kind of respect to right. a leader that can say one thing about, can say to winter, this is summer, and yeah. say, say to summer, <laughs> this is winter, yeah. and say, okay, is because it's a soulless society. Yeah. It's, it's a society that has been so jaded and it's it's so built upon um, falseness. It, it's not it's not based on anything true anyway. Right. And with within humans, yeah. there's there's nothing like there's nothing within them that they hold is true, and there's nothing without that they hold is true. Right. And so because because of that. Um, you know, they have leadership that is can say, hey, winter is summer and summer is winter. Right. And they just be like, okay. Yeah, they just buy it. Th yeah, they just go, yes, you know. Because the most offensive thing in that culture would be not to be liked or not to be admired. Right. And the way you're admired and liked is by being, you know, saying everything's okay. Yeah. Or not disagreeing. Um, and this is like, <coughs> it really hit me last week where I was listening to, I don't know if you listened to them, but they did a Supreme Court case about vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where you stand on it, but it doesn't really matter for what I'm about to say. It was really surprising to be the side that was saying, like, we need vaccine mandates. This is really, really important. They were being asked by various judges, Judge Roberts, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. They were really, like, questioning them about why we're doing it. And you could tell that they're like, legitimately trying to figure out why we're doing it and it was really fascinating there was this one line of dialogue and i think it was between amy coney barrett and this lawyer where she was like okay does does the vaccine prevent transmission or contraction meaning is someone who is vaccinated can they still get the virus and can they still transmit it and the person was like yes and she pushed him and she said okay well then what public health advantage is there if let's say hypothetically we did vaccinate the entire public and the very next sentence they were like oh but this would stop the spread and it's like 
<laughs> you have to like pause for a second to be like, wait, you just said it wouldn't stop the spread. You just said that if you're vaccinated, you can still get it and spread it. And the very next sentence you said, but it will stop the spread and it will stop transmutation and it will stop the virus from perpetrating itself. And it's like, how can you with a straight face say one thing, one sentence, and in the very next sentence, contradict yourself so directly? And the answer is because we've become the kind of culture that can say <laughs> yeah, soulless <laughs> say culture. a soulless culture that can say two things that are contradictory at the same time. Yeah, when you have soulless cultures, remember, culture is based off people. When right. we have soulless people, then we have <coughs> then we have a cor corporations that are soulless. Right. Then we have governments that are soulless. Right. You know, then you have, you know, we we have departments that are soulless. You know, meaning you have whole departments that literally are there to um, bait and switch people. Mm. I mean, that that's the point, you know. And and to me, in a society that's based off of money um, so heavily, uh, like what we have in our world, right? Um, this is the ultimate, you know, consequence of it. Right. Is you know, money becomes the the main justifier. Right. This I I it's 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 okay to do this. It's okay to be this way. It's okay for that lawyer. He is doing his job. Right. You know, Brett Weinstein the other day on his Dark Horse podcast said something really good, and that was, you know, maybe Fauci, I you know, he might seem like a doofus <laughs> and like totally <laughs> like he's totally out to lunch. You but know, maybe he's not. But maybe he's not. Maybe right. he's ex doing exactly what his job is. Right. In that kind of language, you kind of go, or I go, like, man, that's so true. And this is you know? this is really fascinating. I think it, it circles back to what we've been hinting at the whole time. Uh, back in the, I think it was the 1500s, maybe the 1600s, a guy named Nicola Machiavelli, he wrote a book called The Prince. Uh, I don't know if you ever read that one. Mm -mm. But uh, he argued in it. So it was like kind of pre-Nietzsche kind of argumentation where he asked the question of what makes a ruler an effective ruler. And his conclusion was an effective ruler is one who can hold power and rule. And so, in other words, it doesn't matter what you do ethically. If you can hold power and you can rule, if you have to lie, if you have to manipulate, if you have to cheat, if you have to steal, if you have to rape, murder, torture, whatever you got to do, do it because a good ruler is only someone who holds power. Mm. And I think that might be what Brett Weinstein is getting at with Fauci, where it's like if you take a Machiavellian approach and say all that makes a good ruler is someone who holds power, does he hold power? Yes. So yep. he's a good ruler. But if you take a Christian worldview and say, no, it's not about mere dollars and cents. It's not about practicability. It's not about what is beneficial in the short term. It's about there is a such thing as real, objective morality. God is real. He has an objective character, and we must live within that order. Otherwise, it will deteriorate our souls, and it has eternal side effects. That's the Christian worldview. Our society is moving beyond that, where, again, it's like right, wrong, whatever. These words don't really filter into our language anymore. It's just about beneficial does it benefit and if it benefits 
the morality is thrown away. Same types of argumentation, by the way, you hear from pro-abortion people today. It's not about, is it ethically wrong to kill the unborn? It's just, is it beneficial for the mother and society? That's the argumentation. And when you have a society like that, where, where you put it, soulless, a soulless society, a soulless society can can justify anything. Yeah. And that's the scary part of it. Yeah. And I would say a soulless society is not focused on the soul. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's bottom line is it's not focused on that. Yeah. It's focused on something else. Right. And that something else, <coughs> that's that's the scary part. Right. You know, is it leads to incoherency and um right and that's what we see and that's the beautiful thing so like just to end on maybe a word of hope because this <laughs> might seem kind of like like a downer uh, a, a little word of hope so the reason why you know when this person says it was either penis or death either i got what i wanted or that's it i'm i'm gonna die like i can't live without it for the christian because we live in the eternal state for the Christian, because we, we believe in the eternal state, it's okay if we don't get our way. It's okay for the Christian if politically we get stomped. It's okay if nobody sees us as being rational and yeah. hates us. If we're not in the majority. If we're not in the majority. It's okay because we believe that God vindicates our lives and that no matter what, the world can do whatever they want. It says in Psalm 2 that he sits in the heavens and he laughs. Right? So it's like the world's like, dude, we're going to throw off the anointed. That's right. what they say. We're going to throw off God. And it says that God sits in the heavens and he laughs. He's like, dude, you can't throw me off, man. Like right. it doesn't work that way. And so we as Christians have this amazing hope that, again, we know the end of the story. The world will go against God. They will increasingly go against God. It doesn't mean the entire world. God always has a remnant. And so we as Christians, we continue to share our faith. We continue to live lives that honor God. And we know that, hey, even if we don't get our way politically or in the world, we know that God will eventually get what he wants politically. Right? He will have it done and we can rest and have peace and comfort in that. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.